Welcome to the Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Manchester campus. Today we have a message kind of smushed in between two sermon series. And uh, our next series is coming up is called Anchored. And the idea behind that is who are we anchored to in the midst of all of life's storms? You know, all the raging waters and everything else. Well, last week, we heard from John Maz. Guys, wasn't John Maz's, Mazariegos, wasn't his message amazing? I mean, I got so much out of it. I was there the night we filmed it, but I got way more out of it when I actually uh, watched it via video. I don't know why that is, but there's so much that came out of it. And I got to tell you how much uh, I was blessed. And what, what John was talking about is the fact that we're all a mixed bag. That doesn't matter how, what you, where you are in your life and the kind of sin stuff that we're all dealing with. A missionary is no holier than you. But yet God has called you to do something. And that's one of the things that we disqualify ourselves because of the stuff we're working through. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to disqualify ourselves because God has not disqualified us. Because it's the presence of God in us that actually compels us, the love that compels us to serve him. And so it reminds me of uh, Romans 3.21 through through 24. If you have your Bibles, pop it open to that. We're going to be kind of traversing all over uh, the, the Bible today. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? I mean, that to me is what John Maz was talking about, was this, we have all fallen short. And so when I look at, when I look at how God, ha- God calls us into relationship with him, and he calls us to serve him. He calls us to serve him, and he, dis- and he says, I want you to be a part of this kingdom. Not only does he want us to be a part of the kingdom, but because he first loved us, he has adopted us as children into his kingdom. And, and that means this. Let me show you in Romans 8. I believe it's 16 and 17. Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says... The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What are we heirs of, guys? Yeah. What kingdom is he talking about? A lot of us go to this ethereal kingdom. But I, I, always, I always look at the practicality of how Jesus took this heavenly idea and he, he brought it to us here on earth. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you can understand that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God to earth, and this is what he has called us to become heirs of, not just the kingdom of the future in heaven, but the kingdom of, of God here on earth today. Now, building community starts with building ourselves. 
This is not a message on how to live your best <laughs> life. This is not a, you know, this is a completely scriptural message today. But the truth of the matter is that building community starts with building yourself. And that's a challenge to me. Not one of us has it easy in the area of being introspective and allowing our lives to be ripped apart and open to the Holy Spirit to make those changes. We've talked a lot in the past about the Holy Spirit being baptized with fire, going through the process of becoming purified and the gold and you know, what he desires for the best of us to be. But what he's saying here is, I'm going to show you why the idea of building community starts with building ourselves. Jesus spoke most of his time on earth about the inner person. And, and you can't have a, a heaven on earth without the individual being changed. Now, so many times I look at, uh, on the outside, I look at how the world around us, oh my goodness, I have so many friends that are not in church that are on the outside of church that talk about making a better earth, making a better world. And humanity is like on the bottom of their list, honestly. They, they value animals and plants a whole lot more than people. I think because people cause the problem. <laughs> but these friends of mine are pretty, pretty uh, adamant about this utopia lifestyle. And what we realize, and if you go into psychology and you, and you go into philosophy, you begin to realize that so many of the major voices out there say, eh, but it's not going to happen because of humanity. You can't educate yourself out of a society of, where evil is still present. The inner person is what needs to change in order for a utopia to take place. And for some of you, you guys might be going, what is he talking about? <laughs> Let me tell you, utopia is heaven. The kingdom of God. That is what we're talking about. And I want to share with you here that we as people... We need to really realize what kind of a mess the inside can be. And Jesus speaks so much about, you know, he says, within the heart of man comes all kinds of evil and lust and malice, murder, envy, strife, in from within the heart. And that's why you cannot have a utopian society, a heaven on earth without being born again in Jesus and being brand new. So if you are a Christian and you understand that, if you're not a Christian, then we need to have further discussion about what Jesus looks like. Why is it important that we come to recognize our sin and the atonement that Jesus made for us as sinners. Because we were lost in our sin and because of Jesus, we have been made brand new through his presence and his spirit and him living in and through us. When we talk to some of the people on the outside, I find that they, they are so amped about world. 
the term world. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like you turn on the TV, it's this united world. It's, it's all nations becoming one. It's, it's this, you know, this global empire. We're talking about, you know, cultures reaching beyond, you know, stretching hands to other cultures. And all of that is great. All of that is awesome. However, when I look at the word world, I find it to me being very impersonal. I know that sounds weird, but as an extrovert, I find that the word world is impersonal and allows us to be able to say, it's so big, how can I make any difference in it? It's so big and so vast. And it gives people a platform to get excited about something big, like a great big idea. Oh, wouldn't the world be great if everybody could just get along? But until the individual talking realizes that it starts with inside of them, there is no lasting change. So as an extrovert, I find it the world being, it creates this ability to disconnect. But the word community does not do that in my heart the same way. The word community says that we are a unit and every single one of us matters. To the community. And without you, we don't have community. And that's the thing that I'm talking about with regards to the personal ownership of the community you're in. You shape your community. And that's what we look at as pastors. We look at, hey, when we, when we step into a place and start building a church, we say, it starts with me. I need to build community. We need to be the uh, people-minded and community-minded and stop focusing on the bigger picture. But I'm not saying that we, it's us four and no more. Because Jesus did come to save the world. He, saved, he came to save everyone. And what does Hebrews say? And especially for those who believe. And so I want to share with you just a few thoughts because it, it, it has a lot to do with where we are as a church today. I want to focus on where Jesus focuses on. Amen? If we have all these great ideas, so what? <laughs> but we need to focus on what Jesus focuses on. And that is, we need to come to the realization that we truly don't just meet on a Sunday morning to worship and hear a word. But we are building the body of Jesus Christ here. There's an amazing tie-in how the New Testament church relates to the Old Testament Israel and the Old Testament Jerusalem. Building community starts with building ourselves. There's a man by the name of Nehemiah, and he knew this. He knew what the term community meant. He understood the importance of what community brought to a people. And I will race through this, and I'm not going to tell you everything that's in the book of Nehemiah today, because honestly, we can, there's so much of that book that we could literally spend the next two months just be preaching from the book of Nehemiah. It is incredible. If you, ever, if you need to pause your journaling or add something to your list, read the book of Nehemiah. It is so life-giving. And what's interesting is that here is Nehemiah who woke up kind of in this political nightmare. And he realizes that the Jewish people had 
essentially fallen asleep. They've, they've, they've lost their identity as a Jewish people. They were political exiles. And so because they were political exiles, they lived, they lived in the, uh, the Persian Empire during the Persian reign. But before Persia annihilated the Babylonian Empire, which is the most amazing military feat of all history, Babylon had sieged against the, the city of Jerusalem three times. And it took three attempts, and they destroyed the city of Israel. They went through the gates and destroyed the gates and destroyed the walls, tore them apart. They were, the, the walls, it was not necessary for them to have the walls up after they, they attacked the gates and knocked them down. The army went in to annihilate. They did tear down the walls, but they came to tear down the walls to reduce the people of Israel to nothing. Because they had, they had their city. They had their community. They had their safety and their security. And the Babylonians knew that if they came in, entered through the gates, put the pressure on the gates, walked in where there was weakness, and then they can attack and take out the rest of the city and just bring it to rubble. There was a strength in the walls. There was a strength in the walls, and they fought from the walls. But what happens when the enemy comes onto the inside? There's a source of weakness, and they lost. What's interesting is Nehemiah, he was a man, he was a leader of leaders. He was more like a pastor to leaders of that people, the Israel, the, the, the Jewish people. Now, the name Jew came from the idea that they were from Judah. People came from Judah, therefore they are now called Jews. Just kind of how it, that, that took place. If you ever wondered where the name Jews came from, it, people from Judah, those from Judah. So the Jews are dealing with this, this terrible situation where they're exiles. They've actually adopted into the culture just fine. But because of their cultural, now it's like shell shock. They have to live within this new community. And the things that they used to do, they no longer had the freedom to do. They didn't have the freedom to, to hold their feasts. And, and not to the extent that they did when they were a free people. Right? They lost their source of identity. They lost who they were. And in doing so, Nehemiah sees this terrible thing going on where the the Jewish people are actually treating their own people pretty much as bad as any outsider. They were charging in tremendous interest on loans back and forth. They literally got themselves in debt. The, The wealthy Jewish people took advantage of the not-so-wealthy Jewish people and, and developed a poverty mindset. And honestly, the poverty mindset comes out of this idea that there is no source of true nationalism, identity. Because where you have a community, you're, you're taking care of each other's needs. You're there for one another. But when there is no sense of identity as a people then it's all about you. It's about you and self-preservation. And so what happens is there's that, you know, Nehemiah comes to those people and says to the people as a whole, hey, what is going on here? Why are you treating people this way? Your own people you have enslaved. And so what Jesus does, Jesus, what Nehemiah does is he comes in and he pays the debt He pays the debt for the entire people. 
He gets them out of debt. He settles. He takes his own wealth. Again, he is a prominent official in the Persian uh, society, has favor with the king Artaxerxes, who's like the man. And he has such an amazing relationship with King Artaxerxes that he goes in and he's, he poured a glass of wine for the king. And he sits down with the king. Nehemiah had just heard about the devastation of the walls of Jerusalem. And now he's, he's torn to pieces. He's saying, this, this hurts my soul. I, I need to share with you. Uh, the, the process that he goes through here. It's Nehemiah 2, 1 through 5. We're going to read it quickly. In the, in the month of Nisan, which is uh, April-ish, um, April-May, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I, had not, I, I love this. I love how the Bible is talking in first person here. You know, he's telling you the story He's writing out, this is, this is him telling the story. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? You know, this is, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. See, oh man, the king was so compassionate. That, that fellowship with Nehemiah, a Jew. And then I was much afraid, Nehemiah says. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? See the sarcasm? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed. I prayed to to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. What a bold request. You see, he, there, there's so many stories in this. I'm not going to go into every story, but the respect that he had in the, of the king. And he went to God and he said, what, what should I say here? And he heard from the Lord and he, he made that request. See, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was on a mission. He saw his mission was to rebuild the community. And how did he do that? He, he rebuilt the walls. So he calls together all of the people of Israel together and says, guys, we have a job to do. We need to come back and rebuild Jerusalem. And we need to gather all the exiles from all over the planet back into Jerusalem. And he, he says this, and in, in, in he, he quotes in an earlier part, chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he recites Moses from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He says this to the people. He says, remember, this is Nehemiah 1, 8 through 10. Remember that the word, you commanded your, um, the word you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, this is God speaking through Moses, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through, uh, sorry, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, From there I will gather them and bring them into a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, I love his verbiage too, uh, the outer parts of heaven. Like as far as you can possibly see, 
Those are where the exiles are. And it's, I will bring you together where my name will be glorified. Guys, this is us, the church. This is you and I right now. See, the inward work that God was talking about, this is what he's concerned about, the inward work of the heart. If you come in and you, and you turn your heart back to God, then I will gather the people together. If you're faithful to me, then I will build this church. And see, this is what I'm talking about when it comes to us as a body of Christ, that we are faithful to God and we continue to live out our lives to honor God and he will build this body. It doesn't matter how many signs there are on the street. It doesn't matter how many newspaper ads we have. I've said this before. We are the ones that God has called to build this body, not just one man. I have to share this with you because this is so important. When the Israelites came together to start building these walls, they all went to build the gates. Those were the weakest points of the wall. They, the walls were reduced to less than half of what they were. I mean, they just the Babylonians went to town on it. And what is interesting is that Nehemiah calls his people to dig and to build. These were cobblers, goldsmiths, silversmiths, ironsmiths. They were fishermen. They were bankers. They were all these different, they were not, I mean, I'm sure there was probably a few carpenters in the bunch, but these were actually not professional contractors. These were people like you and I. And, and what, what was happening was they, they were seeing the sense of ownership. Do you guys know what this is? <laughs> yep. And this. This is what Nehemiah called his people to do. He said to build. But here's what's an interesting part of the story. I love this story. This is actually the commemoration shovel of the actual building in, in uh, 2003 when we, we dug the first shovel worth of dirt. <laughs> we used this to build the church. I don't know if it's going to stay there, but I hope so. This is used for another purpose, and that is defending our people. I love the way this looks. Because to me, John's getting, John's laughing here because he knows me. <laughs> this is so me! No. <laughs> this, this right here shows how God desires, he called, Nehemiah is essentially God's man bringing the people of God together to rebuild the walls. And there was a point of which when there was a man by the name of Sambalat, who is, it's actually sin brings life. That's what his name means. Sin brings life. And it's not sin in the terminology of like, it's actually where we kind of get the the idea of what sin is to us as Christians, but sin was also the name of a moon god. And so we're talking about a very opposing person who hated the Israelites. And Sanballat, he was the uh, uh, Herotite, I believe it is. Um, he, he tried to, uh, with the Amorites, brought a bunch of military out to destroy the work that was being done to rebuild, rebuild the walls. And what I love about this is that Nehemiah called the men 
He called them all together. He was like the William Wallace of the Old Testament. And he brings them out all to the top of the walls. And the walls were, like you said, less than half the, the normal size of the walls were because they were building and they were all attending to the work of rebuilding the walls. They all stood up with their shovels, their swords, their spears, and their bows. And it, it really freaked out. And actually, both militaries turned and ran. Because there was an opposing force. They're saying, no way. We have put our, our hard work and our effort into building this church. And there is no way that we're going to let anything come in and destroy it, come against us. And we, our weapons are not of carnal use. It's spiritual. And our job as people is to take our sword and get into the word of God and truly have ownership of our church and, and live like this. A lot of times we're like, yeah, we'll just come and check out how things are going. <laughs> but no, he says every one of us, there was not one person that did not have a job in rebuilding the church, in rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding ourselves. We need to be a people that have the courage to stand up for what is right and to stand up and protect each other. To declare that God is the king over our community and over the things that he is doing within us. And to protect what God has started. And to put our hands to the plow and, and rebuild and, and grab brick by brick. Start building up what God has charged us with here. And so I'm excited because I totally get it. <laughs> I totally get Nehemiah and his, his passion for his people. And you see, when that was taking place, the families, there's a genealogy of families listed in Nehemiah. Can you imagine your name being alongside of other family names who took the stand to build the body of Christ? That's what we're doing. But the inner work, the inner work of the man is how God builds his church. And so that's what we're going to be doing. It doesn't happen overnight. We are constantly growing, constantly being changed, constantly becoming more like Christ. We all have a role to play. What is your role? What is your role? Of course, I could come up and ask you to do stuff. But I, I, you know what? I know that people, when they are passionate about their church, they're going to rise up to the occasion to build and to see the exiles. Again, when we talked about building for those yet to come, that is still the way we do things. Because our exiles, the people that God has called to himself, are in our lives. They're, they're our workmates, our classmates, our, the people that we are neighbors to, our family members, relatives, things like that. And so God is put us in these places of complete... If you don't realize that you're in a place of intentional strategy, I pray that your eyes are opened. Because God has placed you in a place of strategy to build his kingdom. And as soon as we get that, that's when things are going to explode. As soon as we realize that. And so... Wow, I went way too long, guys. <laughs> I, I'm going to go... Uh, there's two questions that I want to ask, but it, let me just leave this last 
thought with you. On the inside of your heart is the parallel Jerusalem. Your heart is Jerusalem, where God says hey, he will dwell. Where are the weaknesses of the gates in your life? Where are those places that you need to take a greater stand and defend, to build up, to strengthen? That's my first question with you internally. Ask the Lord, God, where, are the, where, where is it weak in my heart? So are your, are your gates strong? Will they keep out the enemy? Because the enemy wants to spread lies and rumors and things that are not glorifying to him. But also, are your gates open for the exiles? Those that need to come to Christ. Because there are many outside these doors that need to come to Christ and we need to be the place of safety for them. Amen? Well, I'm super amped. I don't know about you guys. I'm going home full. <laughs> I, I, when the, God began speaking this to me, I just realized that we are in a place of... of uh, we're in a, u- a unique place. We're in a place of transition. As you guys know, I've been talking to... Um, I've been trying to find a place for us as a church to be able to, to set our roots, to, to find a permanent place so that we, did, we could build without some of the weight of the setup and breakdown. And God has really led us, and I, I will share with you, I don't remember if I shared with you, but very quickly, I, I shared this idea or the story that I had about me driving through um, the city of Manchester asking God, Lord, where do you want us to settle? I want to settle this body in a place where he, you want us to be most effective. And so I drove around the city one day, and I, I started moving out towards the east side of Manchester, and I just felt the presence of God come over me, and it was a very peaceful thing. And I just fell in love with one of the tree streets. Um, and, and <laughs> right? <laughs> what? Um, but we, I moved out towards Hanover, and I was Hanover and somewhere else, and I'm, I'm in this region of the east, and, and then God really put on my heart, this is where he wants us to settle. And I started meeting with um, a, a man by the name of Pastor John Whalen, who has a church on the east side. It's over on Page in Hanover Street. And it's called New Life Church, and guess what? They're a four-square church. And I, was, I, was, I knew that there was a four-square church, I just didn't know where it was. And I started, I started having this relationship with him, and uh, I, there was talks about us possibly, in fact, actually, this church did do um, a Christmas service with that church last year. Um, and so I knew that there was some kind of relationship. So I began just to begin meeting with, I began to begin, I began meeting with John Whalen. And um, God has brought their church through this tremendous uh, process of being more like Christ and releasing um, the things that they have built to be a blessing for the community and the community of Jesus Christ. And we are, we're going to be um, not merging churches, but we are going to be sharing space with their church. And there will probably be many questions in your mind. How is this going to work? 
Well, we're praying about the details as to when church will actually be held, like the time frame. I'm, I'm still keen on Sunday morning, only because we have a, a, an aggressive build-out model of, of raising up a church and, and, and being open to the community. And, and there's different ways of reaching that community, too. So we have a lot of those ideas on the table. And this is the church. And I drove by it, and I was like, where's the church? <laughs> I, I, I drove by it, and I saw the, the, the name, and I was like, oh, there it is. I spun around, went in, and what I see, I have not even been in the building yet. But in faith, because I really I felt very strongly that God said, start here. Don't even look anywhere else. And I did. I, originally, I began looking at different, camp, different places to, to put a campus. And, you know, there were strip malls and there were buildings and there were places vacant. And, and I didn't feel any peace whatsoever in that process. And the Lord said, stop looking. It's not your job to look. It's your job to be led. I'm, I'm doing the work. You just follow. And so uh, they took this idea about sharing their church with their congregation. And there was a resounding yes and amen. They want us there. And it is, has nothing to do with a financial part of this at all. Their heart, this is amazing, their heart is to serve us. And, and we, Pastor John said, this is, in, this is absolutely integral for, the, for their church to have us there because they need to become more like Christ. And honestly, we do too. So though we are, our mindset is we are looking outward in, we are saying we are doing church so that others may come to Christ. We celebrate Jesus on a Sunday morning, but our intent on being there at that campus is to bring who we are as a people as a culture of GCC, and blessing them with what we bring to the table. And we're going to do that to bless them. There's going to be more details to come, but I just wanted to let you know that um, as M- Pastor Mark and the council have been going through this, there's a meeting tomorrow night actually, um, to talk about more about this, I have been given the permission to say, guys, we're moving. And it's an amazing thing to be able to move into a place that was made as a church by another church where the other church says, I want you guys to be successful in our building. The heart behind that. Guys, if we go in there thinking, yay, a building, we've missed it. (laughs) We've missed this whole experiment because that's kind of what it is. The experiment lies within our hearts to say, yay, we get to partner with another church and build the kingdom of God in Manchester. There's a lot of healing that's going to take place through this process because they themselves have gone through a lot. And they're in the process of healing as well and building out. But their heart is for us. So with that being said, um, one of the reasons why we're not doing pizza with the pastors is because I have key leaders that I have to take over to their church this afternoon to do a walkthrough and to do a meet and greet with some of the leaders. 
But I just wanted to share with you just how amazing this process has been of really releasing to God the future of Grace Capital Manchester. And I believe that this is the next season. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com.